You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. I want you to open the Bible with me again tonight to the book of Zechariah, if you will. Perhaps you've marked your place here. May I just ask, how many of you read some in it this afternoon? Would you raise your hand? Anybody? Oh, good. Several people. Well, I want to encourage you to do that. We're in Zechariah chapter number 3 this evening. Again, we're going to pick up right where we left off. And if you'd like to know, you'd like to read ahead, I'll be in Zechariah 4 tomorrow night. And we're not having a 14-night meeting. So somebody says, you've got a lot of ground to cover. I'm not going to preach the whole book. Uh, but just trying to hit some highlights and place a certain emphasis. And so Zechariah 4, 4 tomorrow night, uh, you can read ahead, not while I'm preaching tonight, but on your own time, all right? Uh, let's read the whole chapter of Zechariah 3 together this evening. Uh, the Bible says, beginning in verse 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways... And if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house and shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. What an amazing chapter this is. One of the things that has captured my attention is that God would give so much emphasis to his dealing with one man. How many of you are glad that God knows you individually? You know, preachers preach to crowds of people, but the Holy Spirit speaks to individuals. And in the whole nation of Israel at this time, and in all of Jerusalem, there was a man there who was serving as the high priest of Israel for this season, and God zeroed in on him. I, I love it when the Holy Spirit zeroes in on a man. 
It's an amazing thing to watch God at work. Really, it is. And to hear God speak, there's nothing quite like the individual, the personal, the the specific work of the Holy Spirit of God in a person's life. But did you notice the divine progression of the passage? When, When the chapter opens, it's just the Lord and Joshua. But when the chapter closes... It's Joshua and all his fellows and those that sit by and those that stand by. And then, no, it's not just them. It's their neighbors. It's the whole nation. Do you see the ripple effect of the work of God? See, this is why I'm so encouraged when I come to meetings like this and I see people tender and open and and receptive to the Word of God because I'm convinced of something and convicted of this truth that if any one of us would really let God be thorough with us, there is no telling what God could set in motion in the lives of other people. Some of you are deeply burdened for family members that are lost and you're thinking now of of friends who are wayward and folks that you're burdened for and all of us, who among us is not burdened for our own nation at this time. But let me tell you that the work of God must begin in the individual and that's what God does in this chapter in the life of Joshua. The amazing thing, we've, we've studied just the first couple verses together. You remember in verse number one, we learned something about the adversary, Satan standing against him. And in verse two, the Lord stepping in between. Aren't you glad Jesus always steps in between? Somebody said, oh, I tell you, the devil, the devil. You know, we give the devil way too much credit. Did you know that? Because Christ is greater than the devil. In fact, tonight we come to the real enemy. Did you know the real enemy of the Christian is not the devil? The devil is God's enemy. But the real enemy of the Christian is the self-life. The person I have the biggest fits with is not the devil. (laughs) The person that gives me the most trouble is the fellow I look at in the morning, every morning when I wake up and look at in the mirror. It's me. And see, the dirty, rotten truth is that all of us battle us. Any of you with me on that? And somebody says, well, you know, I think if we move, it'll get better. No, no, because you're going to take you with you when you move. Somebody says, well, we just get these circumstances figured out. It's going to get easier. No, no, it's not. Because, see, your problem is not the circumstances. Your problem is yourself. And when you come to verse number three, God gets down to business May the Lord do some holy business in this place tonight. May may the Lord do his deep spiritual personal work in all of us. Because when you come to verse number three, it's no longer the devil. In fact, you know what's really interesting? In the rest of the chapter, the devil doesn't pop his head up one more time. Watch this. When Jesus stands up and rebukes the devourer, the devourer is rebuked. In fact, I'm going to say this tonight. I don't think the Lord has any problem dealing with the devil. No, no, he can just speak a word, and the devil has to shut up. Isn't it going to be a great day when the devil gets shut up forever? I'm going to tell you who the Lord has problems with, us. My sin, my self-will, my old nature, my rebel heart. And don't look at me so pious. You're right there with me. Because when you get to verse number 3, he says to Joshua, Joshua, you're dirty. I mean, you're standing in the holy place in front of the angel of the Lord in the presence of a holy God and and you're not clean. You're not right. And then he proceeds to change all of that. And then by the time you get to the end of the chapter, oh, I love this. I said this earlier today, but it is wonderful. It is wonderful to see Jesus in the Old Testament. 
And by the time you get to verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 10, it's all about Jesus. This, church, this is the day that Joshua met Jesus. That's what this chapter is. You know, when you meet Jesus, he changes everything. You can't meet Jesus and be the same. You just can't. And in fact, everybody's got to meet Jesus for themselves. Now, I met Jesus for the first time 41 years ago. 41 years ago, not a preacher, a lady, a Christian school teacher, took a Bible. When I started asking some questions, she discerned the Spirit of God working on me. And she took a Bible, and she explained to me that God loved me, and, and Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And that was the day I met Jesus. I was just a boy. And I still remember that day. And I remember the joy that filled my heart on that day. So that was, that was the first day that I met Jesus. Then, if you fast forward all the way to the end, I don't know when it's going to be. I hope it's in the rapture of the church, but the Lord may call me home before then. But there's coming a final day when I'm going to see Jesus face to face. Isn't that a glorious thing? And by the way, this day is only possible because of the first day that I met the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to say to every believer tonight, between the day of your salvation and the day of your glorification, between the day when you first were introduced to Christ and the day that you, you see him face to face and are known even as you are known, look please, the Lord wants you to have many times where you meet with the Lord Jesus. Remember, this man is a believer. No, he's more than a believer. He's a representative of God. He's, he's a servant of the Lord. See, I know who I'm preaching to tonight. I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd. I'm preaching to those of us who've been at it a little while, who know a little bit about the Bible and know a little bit about God. And I want to tell you what everybody in this room needs tonight. Every man, every woman, every young person, young and old alike, we all need a fresh encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Another old North Carolina evangelist named Vance Havner, who's with the Lord now, used to say that revival is just one thing. It's God's people falling in love with Jesus all over again. You will know revival has come when suddenly all eyes are on Jesus and our affection and our admiration and our desire is all centered in the person of Jesus Christ. What happens when Joshua met Jesus? I tell you, everything changed from the inside out. I had a Bible teacher years ago. Name is Frank Sells. I can see him right now. Frank Sells was a great Bible teacher. He looked like Harry Ironside, and he couldn't stand for long periods of time, Pastor, so he would sit behind a desk on the platform and teach the Bible, and he was completely bald. He was one of the happiest Christians I've ever met in my life, and he would rub his bald head and teach the Bible the whole time. He taught me some of the greatest things. And old Dr. Sells said one day, he said, you want a good prayer to pray? He said, now I dare you to pray this. He said, now if you pray it, be real careful because God will answer it. He said, but here's the prayer you ought to pray. Dear God, be thorough with me. You know what I think? I think we got a lot of surface Christianity today where we, we dress up good for Sunday school and it's like Instagram religion, you know. We get, put a nice filter on it and it looks good for everybody else, but we have not really let God be thorough with us. Before I walk you through these verses, can I just show you something just for fun? You know when preachers say just for fun, folks get nervous, but I really mean it, just for fun. Go back in your Bible a few pages and come back to the book of Joshua at just a moment. Now I told you already that Joshua the high priest is not the same as Joshua the captain of Israel, Moses' successor, but I just thought this was really interesting. Go back to Joshua chapter 5 for just a minute because did it ever dawn on you that the first Joshua had to meet Jesus too? 
See, everybody's got to meet Jesus for themselves. Everybody needs a fresh encounter with God. Everybody has to have their own experience with Christ. It can't be secondhand faith. It can't be secondhand knowledge. It can't be secondhand religion. It must be personal to you. My pastor used to say, nothing is real until it is personal. So look at Joshua 5 and verse number 13. It came to pass when Joshua, famous name, familiar, was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there's that word, look, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. <laughs> I love the divine humor here. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Joshua said, you with us or are you with them? And Jesus, that's who this is. This is the God-man, the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the captain of the army. He said, neither, buddy. I'm in charge of this whole thing. Say, so how do you know it was Jesus? I'll prove. Keep reading. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? In every other place in Scripture, if a man fell on his face to worship and it was an angel, the angel would say, Get up, get up, don't worship me, worship God. But this man receives worship. You know why? Because he's worthy of worship. This is the Lord himself. Look at verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua. See, everybody thought Joshua was the captain. Could I just remind us all tonight, none of us are in charge of this thing. Jesus is in charge of it all. Hebrews says he's the captain of our salvation. Look, the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. I like this. This is like Moses worshiping at the burning bush. See, every man must have his own encounter with God. Every Joshua has to meet Jesus. Hear me now. Everybody must come to know Christ in a fresh and personal way. And the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. And so this man who bears the name of Jesus, you know Joshua is the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament name Jesus, same name, same meaning. This man who bears the name of Jesus must have his own experience with Jesus. May, may the Holy Spirit of God make that truth abundantly clear to your heart at this moment. All of us who profess the name of Jesus must have our own experience with Jesus. God deliver us that we use the name of Christ and yet know him at such a distance. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? What does that mean? We say, oh, I don't curse and swear and take God's name in vain. Do you understand that to use his name lightly in any way without meaning is to take his name in vain? When his name is on your lips but not in your heart, you have taken it in vain. And I wonder at times if those of us who've been marked by the name of Jesus, who have salvation stamped on us, have not missed something of the daily personal fellowship with the beautiful Son of God. I tell you, when you meet Jesus, it always leads to worship. You go low, and he goes high. You become nothing, and he is everything. This is what happened when Joshua met Jesus. So go back with me to Zechariah, would you please? And let's walk through this passage I want you to jot two or three things down tonight that happened when Joshua met Jesus. Here's the first. It's the most obvious. It's the starting point of it all. Would you write down, first of all, there's a sin removed. Something's got to get out of the way. And what is it? It's our sin. We must lay aside our sin 
the weights and the sin that does so easily beset us. Look at verse number three. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Did you know the word filthy there is one of the strongest words you could use in the Hebrew language for dirty? <laughs> this doesn't mean he had a little dust on him. It means he was filthy. How many of you mamas know what I'm talking about? When the children come in, and it's not just that they need to wash their hands, they need to go in the bath and stay there for a while. Why? Because they're just dirty all over. May I say to you, that is the condition of all of us. And watch this. It is only as you come into the presence of God that that filth starts to be revealed. Isn't it an amazing thing how we can go right on our way living in our own pet sins, fussing at everybody else's sin, but nursing our own sins until we get in the presence of a holy God. See, the nearer you get to Jesus, the more you start to realize how unlike Jesus you really are. His light always reveals the darkness. Hold your place here. Go back to Isaiah just for a moment. Would you please? We're, we're comparing Scripture with Scripture. Look what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 64. This is a great revival chapter. What a prayer. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. In verse number two, thy presence. In verse number three, thy presence. Do you see, when you get in the presence of God, look at verse number six. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Would you circle the word filthy? Same word. When did he realize that he was filthy? Only in the presence of God. I was in a church outside of Atlanta a few years ago preaching in at the end of the meeting, a lady came up to me, a church member. I didn't know her personally, but she belonged there, served the Lord there. And you could tell, I don't know any other way to say it, she was a church lady. She had her Sunday best on and had her Bible and her journal and all of her pens. And I mean, she was there. And she waited patiently as I was speaking to some people. And when they left, she stepped up and she started to weep. And she said, preacher, she said, I need some help. Something's wrong with me. And I said, what's wrong with you? She said, I'm getting more sinful. I said, say that again. She said, I'm getting more sinful. I said, how do you suppose that is? She said, I don't know what's wrong. She said, I'm reading my Bible more than I've ever read it and spending more time in prayer and, and just communing with God more and, and listening to more of God's word. And she said, it's like the more I seek the Lord and the more I spend time with the Lord, the more sinful I'm becoming. And I said to her, congratulations. She said, I don't understand. I said, you're not getting more sinful. You're just starting to see the sin that was there all along. In fact, sometimes our great need is just to see our need. I mean, look, when you start getting close to God, suddenly he starts revealing what you really are. You look, you are not what you think you are, and you are not what everybody else says you are. You are what God knows you to be. Look at that verse, Isaiah 64, verse 6. We are all. Does your Bible say all? Somebody said all means all, and that's all all means. That's deep, isn't it? We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses. Do you see the plural there? See, Christ is our righteousness, singular. Look, away with our righteousnesses, plural. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
All our righteousness is are as filthy rags. Do you, do you understand what that's saying? Stare at that verse just a second. That doesn't say that your worst is filthy rags. It says your best is filthy rags. In fact, the word used here for filthy rags is the word that they would use for lepers. Leprosy was, was so prevalent in that day, and leprous sores would ooze. It was a nasty, disgusting thing. And they would take these, these strips of cloth, and they would wrap the, the leprous sores so that as the pus oozed out of them, it would absorb all that leprosy. And then they would unwind it, and they would throw them away, and they would burn them. Do you know that's the same word that's used here? Think about this. God says the best you have to offer God is like leprous rags to God keep reading and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away you see wind come and blow uh, just a gust of wind carry the leaves away God says you you get it all cleaned up dot all your eyes and cross all your t's and make sure everybody thinks you're in good shape and then God just goes and it all goes away I think there's a little object lesson too here. Do you remember when sin entered the world? What's the first thing Adam and Eve did? They went and they hid, right? But they made themselves some aprons. You remember the aprons they made? What were they made of? They were made of fig leaves. Can you imagine thinking you could sew a fig leaf apron and stand behind a tree and maybe God wouldn't see you? And yet we laugh at them and we say what, what silly nonsense that is and then we do the same thing. Look, we've got to stop trying to straighten out everybody else's sin and start letting God deal with our sin. What is the thing between you and God at this moment? What is the thing uh, between you and someone else at this moment that's holding back the blessing of heaven and hindering the full bounty of God being poured out? What is that thing? The sin must be removed. Go back to Zechariah. Keep reading. Look at verse number four. I like this. God speaks. Aren't you glad the Lord speaks again? And what does he say? Take away the filthy garments from him. By the way, only Jesus can make you clean. Only Jesus can do that. He said unto him, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. I've marked that I have caused. Look, every good thing in my life is God caused. Every bad thing in my life is Scott caused. But every good thing in my life for time and eternity is God calls. He's the first cause. He's always previous. He's, he's the divine initiator. You don't chase after God, but God sure does pursue after you. His goodness and his mercy. And notice what he does. He said, I caused your iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. I love this. He said, I'm going to do one better than that. I'm not just going to get rid of the filthy garments. I'm going to give you the best garment. Do you see the negative and the positive here? God says, I'm going to get rid of the sin, but nothing operates in a vacuum. I'm not going to leave you that way. No, I'm going to clothe you with the best that I have. I'm thinking right now of that prodigal coming home. You remember him? Stinking, nasty, been in the in the hog pen, practicing his prayer all the way home. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he got there and launched into his prayer and daddy interrupted him. Did you ever notice that? He didn't let him finish his prayer. When he got halfway through his prayer, his father said, hey, he's home. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Why is that? Because God is not impressed with your prayers and God doesn't have to be convinced what Jesus already paid for on the cross of Calvary. The moment you come confessing your sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In a moment, you can be right with God. In a moment, the sin can be removed. And if that were not enough, look at verse five. And I said, 
let them set a fair miter upon his head. Now, that doesn't mean much to you, but let me tell you, to the high priest, it meant a whole lot. Do you know what the fair miter was? It was, that, it was that headpiece that he had to wear to come into the holiest of all when he came into the presence of Almighty God. He couldn't come in without it. it. It was his access. Turn one page. Just turn one page. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 11 and verse 12. Then take, chapter 6 verse 11, then take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Does that sound familiar? We just read that, right? So God gave him this as his access. Please don't miss this. When God removes your sin, he not only removes the sin, in removing the sin, he opens the gate for you to pray again. You know why a lot of Christians are miserable? Because they can't worship. It's been a long time since a lot of Christians were really in the presence of God. See, being in church is not the same as being in the presence of God. I'm sorry. Being in a Bible study is not the same thing as being in the presence of God. There is a joy, there is a renewal and a refreshing that comes only by the presence of God, but you can't get in the presence of God, live consciously in the presence of God as long as there is something between you and your God. The old timers used to talk about being on praying ground. You ever heard that term before? We need some people to get back on praying ground. You know how that happens? First of all, the sin has to be removed. Look at the rest of it, verse number five. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments. I like this. And the angel of the Lord stood by. <laughs> oh, I like that. The work is complete. It is between Joshua and Jehovah God. The angel is just there observing at this point. This is a divine transaction. The sin is removed. And I want to pray right now, oh God, get anything out of my heart that isn't what it ought to be. Every desire, every motive, every thought, every word, every spirit that doesn't line up with Jesus, every ugly thing in me that doesn't reflect the beauty of the holiness of Almighty God, dear Lord, get it out of my life because I want to know Jesus like I ought to know Jesus. There's a second thing that happens here. There's not only a sin removed, there's a step required. See, when God gets you right, that's not the end, that's the beginning. So keep reading. Look at verse number six. The angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua. There's a divine protest. We got a lot of protest today. I wonder what the divine protest on us is. And look at verse seven. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if, would you circle the word if, thou wilt walk in my ways, and if, circle it again, if, if, thou wilt keep my charge, then, Thou shalt also judge my house and shall keep my courts. If then. This is one of God's great conditional promises. Please don't miss this. As surely as God wants you to get clean, and he makes a way for you to be clean, and, and get back where you can pray again, and get back right with God again, as surely as God wants that, that simply sets in motion then a life of obedience. See, people view getting right with God as an event. I want you to know the hard thing is not getting right with God. The hard thing is staying right with God. Anybody with me on that? So here's what the Lord wants. The Lord wants you to take the first step, but you don't stop with the first step. You have to take the next step. By the way, that, that imagery is not my own. It comes straight from the text. Look at verse, look at verse number 7. 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou, would you mark this, wilt walk in my ways. Mark that, wilt walk. Will you walk in his way? Will you, will you take the step of obedience? Will you follow Jesus? Come down to the end of verse number 7 and mark this, I will give thee places to walk. Isn't that interesting? He says, if you'll take the next step, I'll show you more steps. Let me say it this way. If you'll do what you know, you'll know what to do. See, there's a whole lot of Christians trying to figure out how to live the victorious Christian life and all about their future and all that they should plan and prepare for. Let me just tell you what to do. Why don't you start right where you are and do whatever it is the Holy Spirit's telling you to do right now? You know where every one of us is stuck? Every one of us is stuck at the last place we refuse to obey the Holy Spirit. Some people are stuck 20 years ago. I meet people sometimes, and you ask them about their relationship with the Lord. Oh, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been following Jesus for 40 years. Then you start talking to them, and you find out they really don't have 40 years of experience with the Lord. they got about 20 years of experience with the Lord because 20 years ago they stopped obeying. How about you? It's interesting that all through Scripture, he uses the imagery of walking. You know what walking is? It's a daily exercise. Look, you don't get out of bed in the morning, take one step, and say, well, check that box, got that done for the day, and go back to bed, do you? There are days like that, but you can't do that every day. No, no, this is deep. You ready? It's a deep theology. Pay close attention, take really good notes. You all know what the Christian life is? It's this. Let's review, class. Everybody pay attention. This is the Christian life. It's simply taking the next step. So what's your next step? That's different for everybody. There might be somebody in here that's not really saved. I mean, you're just not really saved. You're not positive. But we had a man this morning settle the matter of his soul's salvation. I rejoice in that. May I say, you better get that step taken care of first. I have no doubt and I have no idea who it is. There's probably somebody in this room that's been saved and never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. You've never really taken the, the natural next step for a child of God. That's exactly what you ought to do. There's probably people in this room that you, you attend church, but you're not really a member of the church. You don't really belong to an assembly of believers. That's what you ought to do. There's a next step for you. Or maybe it's a next step in your Bible study, or it's a next step in your prayer life, or a next step in your witness. I don't know what it is. Look, it's not my business. I'm not trying to play the Holy Spirit. I don't know you. I got enough trouble with me. But I know this there is a next step for every one of us. On my way driving over to this meeting tonight, I was talking to the Lord. And you know what I was talking to him about? I wasn't talking to the Lord driving over here tonight about this meeting. I have been, but I was talking to the Lord driving over here tonight about an area of my life where I'm just praying for some direction right now. I need God's guidance. I, Lord, help me know what step to take. Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. Show me what to do. Lead me in a plain path. Oh, God, I just want to follow your way. That's all I want. Did you know there's something better than a revival meeting? There is something better than a revival meeting. It's called a revived life. It outlives three or four days. It hangs around when the preacher leaves town. You know what it is? It's a life of walking in conscious, constant obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the revealed will of God in the Word of God. When Joshua met Jesus, there was a sin that had to be removed, and then there was a step required. If you want to go on with God, then take the next step of obedience right where you are. The will of God is not future. The will of God is present. The will of God is not some big thing out yonder somewhere. It's the little step right now that you've neglected and rejected to do. It's the thing that 
that you've been arguing with God about and excusing away and blaming on somebody else or comparing yourself with somebody else. I say tonight, if we really want Jesus to be in our lives what he wants to be, we must learn to obey him. And then it's beautiful, this progression. There's not only a sin removed and a step required, there's then a soul reached. <laughs> Say, so what do you mean, preacher? When you get to verse 8, 9, and 10, it's all about Jesus, all about Messiah, but don't miss this. It is not just for Joshua now, the high priest. It is now so everybody will come to know him. Here's what I've learned. When Christians get thoroughly right with God and start living in obedience to God, other people start getting saved. Can we take a church vote? It has nothing to do with money. Is that all right? How many of you would like to take a vote? You'd like to see a whole lot more people saved in this community and folks saved in this church and added to this family. Would you raise your hand, please? All right. It looks unanimous to me. Wonderful. I'm going to tell you how to do it. You ready? You don't bring a preacher to town, let him preach a handful of sermons. That's not how you do it. That's not how you reach an area. That's not how you see a bunch of people saved. You let every one of God's children in this place get thoroughly right with God you let every one of them start living in obedience to God day by day, walking in his ways. And I tell you tonight, on the authority of the word of God, many will be drawn to your Christ. You want to see the power of God? The power of God is not displayed only in a pulpit. The power of God is displayed in the life of obedient Christians. And when the power of God is seen and the joy of the Lord is displayed, many will be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll prove it to you. Look at verse number 8. Here now, O Joshua the high priest, so it starts with him. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou, watch it now, and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. So he starts with his own inner circle. There's now these men are starting to be influenced. Can I just ask you, who's your circle? Who's your circle? Everybody's got one. You say, well, my circle's small now. It may be small, but somebody's in the circle. Is it your neighbors? I had a woman this week, a woman this week I do not know. She sent me a message, and she's, she's under conviction about witnessing. And she said in her message to me, she said, I've been thinking what would happen if every Christian in our church decided that they would be one-mile Christians. And I thought, what does she mean by that? And then she wanted to explain. She said, I just wonder what would happen if everybody in our church would say, everybody within a mile of where I live is going to hear the gospel. That'd be profound. Now, look, I'm all for sowing and visitation and programs for evangelism. I'm all for it. But may I say to you, witnessing is supposed to be a way of life, not something you do one day a week. Let God's people take responsibility for their own neighborhood, for their own neighbors. That's what's going on here. Start with your circle. Get your family in the ark of safety. Go after those God has put in your sphere of influence. Keep reading. For behold, I bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I've laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I'll engrave the grave in there, I've said the Lord of the hosts, and I'll remove the iniquity of that land in one day. I love this. A minute ago, he was removing the iniquity of one man. Now what's he doing? He's removing the iniquity of the whole land. See, we are all mixed up today. We are all mixed up. We're trying to get a nation right with God instead of us getting right with God. You don't get the land healed till God's people get their own heart healed. Look at verse 10. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall you call. Would you mark this in your Bible? Here it is. Ready? A soul gets saved. You ready? Shall you call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree? <laughs> you say, what just happened here? Something, I think something just happened. Yeah, something big just happened. Joshua got right with God. All of his close associates got right with God. The nation got right with God. You ever 
See the domino effect? Knock one domino down and watch the chain reaction. That's what's going on here. The ripple effect. You ever watch a rock in a pond? That's the ripple effect. Here it is. Now that God's people are right with God, guess what they're doing? They're speaking to all the neighbors and saying, hey, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is wonderful. The, the branch is fruitful and the stone is a strong foundation. You've got to know our Messiah. We want you to come over here. Come on. Come sit under our tree with us. And suddenly they're inviting all the neighbors. I wonder what would happen if just the people in this room tonight got serious about their neighbors. Just your neighbors. You ever wonder why God let those people live next door to you? You say, yeah, a lot of times I wonder why they're, no. You ever wonder why you got that house? Somebody say, yeah, I worked hard and finagled a deal. And I, I'm going to tell you why you got that house. God gave you that house. You ever wonder why those people moved in across the street? Do you ever think maybe it's a divine appointment that, that God has brought people to be your near neighbors because he's entrusted you with a gospel message as stewards of the grace of God and he expects those people to come to know Jesus through your life? I wish I had time to show you this. Look at it. Look at the, look at the pictures of Jesus. In verse 8, he's the branch. Remember, he, he said, I'm the vine, you're the husband. You're the branches? So here he's the, he's the beginning branch. He's the true branch. He's the starting point. It's a picture of fruitfulness. In verse number 9, he's the stone. I like that. Here, here's a picture of, of strength. So you got fruitfulness on one hand, strength on another. We could use some of that stability in our world today. He's the stone hewn out without hands. He's, he's the stone that crushes the enemies in the end. He's, he's the chief's cornerstone of the church. Look, please. He's the stone they rejected, but God put him right in the place of honor. Why? Because he is Messiah. He is Jesus. But in verse number 10, he's the one who brings fellowship. He's the one that brings others into this grace and into this joy. Then where does it all begin? It all began. Isn't this amazing? It all began with one man getting right with God. Just one. I'd hate to think I met Jesus at the judgment seat. By the way, you will. You will. You're going to see the scars in his hands and his feet. You're going to see him. I'd hate to think that I knelt at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus at the judgment seat only to find that there were many who were never saved because of my sin and my disobedience. I shudder at that thought. For a Christian, I can't think of anything more terrible than to think that we're going to heaven, but we're not taking the people with us we all take with us. Not because we're not having church, but because we're not where we need to be individually. Would you take out your hymn book, everybody? Would you take out your hymn book, this hymn book, just for a moment? I promise not to sing. Is that a good trait? you got a singing pastor. I noticed that earlier. I like that. I wish I could sing like that. I hate people that are that gifted. I really do. i got a song in my heart. I want to show you my favorite revival hymn. It's my favorite. If somebody said you, you can only sing one hymn in the service, what would you like for it to be? It'd be this hymn. The, the, the hymn doesn't even have the word revival in it. Truthfully, the word revival is not even found in the New Testament. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It certainly exists. It means revival is what is produced out of the obedience of God's people. 
Probably the hymn I heard sung more than any other in revival meetings is Revive Us Again. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard Revive Us Again. That's a good one. I like it. But this is my favorite. Would you find hymn number 427 in your hymn book? I just want you to put your eyes on the words for a moment. And then we're going to take this hymn tonight and make it our prayer. When you get there, you're going to see a name in the top. C.A. Tindley. How many of you see that? C.A. Tindley. His name was Charles. Charles Tindley. Would you look at me just for a minute before we read the hymn together? Did you know Charles Tindley was the son of a slave woman? He was. His daddy was a free man. His mother was a slave. And when he got to a certain age in life, he was permitted to make a decision what he was going to do. He could have gone with his father, could have gone with his mother, and he chose to stay with his mother. And it's a good thing he did because his mother was a real Christian. And his mother gave him the gospel and led him to Jesus. Charles Tenley went to Philadelphia when he was in his early 20s to go to the university. Wanted to, wanted to get a degree. He got a job at the, at the big downtown church in Philadelphia. He was the janitor. And Charles, he, he kept everything clean and tidy and, and greeted folks as they came in and out on Sunday. And, and honestly, you ought to read the story sometimes. All those, all those uh, uptown people, you know, with, with uh, uptown ideas, they didn't think much of Charles until Charles Tenley became the pastor of the church. And one day, Charles Tenley, who knew God, sat in his study in that big downtown church and took out a pen and a piece of paper and started writing, and this is what he wrote. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I've renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between like worldly pleasure. Habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my heart from him ever sever. He is my all. There's nothing between. Nothing between like pride or station. Self or friends shall not intervene. Though it may cost me much tribulation, I am resolved there's nothing between. Nothing between in many hard trials, though the whole world against me convene, watching with prayer and much self-denial, I'll triumph at last with nothing between. Look at the chorus. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. You want to have revival services or you want to have revival? They're not the same. You want to let me spend three days with you and preach a handful of sermons and everybody check it off the calendar and say, well, we had a revival meeting. Is that, what, is that all we want? That I'm wasting my breath and you're wasting your time. Let's all pack up now and go home. If you want real revival, make this your prayer. Dear Jesus, get everything out of your way in my life. Get all the junk out of God's way. I want the channel open. I want nothing between. And when we get there, you'll see Jesus. Oh, and others will too. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.